Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Bill Johnson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. Before we uh, uh, get into the Word, I want to pray for one one group of people. We're dealing with abundance, dealing with prosperity of soul, dealing with that just aspect, that part of life. And uh, there's a number of folks in the room that just really struggle with the fear of man. And uh, all of us have dealt with that one time or another, so it's, it's, we could easily pray for each other on this one. <clears throat> but I, what I felt this morning was, was that the, the enemy has spotted a gift of compassion, an ability to be moved by the thoughts, feelings, needs of people around you, but he has worked to distort that gift to where you actually fear people instead of able to respond to them and serve them. I feel like, for example, Peter, he's got this great boldness, but outside of the lordship of Jesus, he just put his foot in his mouth time after time after time. You find a person who's very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, very sensitive, quiet spirit. That person, led by the Lord, speaks at the right time very profound things but not under the lordship of Jesus. They become very introverted, introspective, and self-absorbed. I feel like for many people in this room, you've got a God-given gift to excel in compassion, but the enemy has persuaded you to fear people's opinions rather than to serve them according to what you discern, what you feel. Does that make any sense to anyone? So if that fits you, put a hand up, because we're gonna pray for you right now. You don't have to stand, just put your hand up. All right? If you're close to someone that has their hand up, pray for them, because this is the day. I don't think the Lord would highlight it if he didn't plan on really freeing each individual uh, that struggles with this area. So put your hand on somebody. If, if uh, there's a bunch of you together, lay hands on one another, I guess. But let's, uh, yeah, don't let anybody be skipped. Just pray for them. We just say, Lord, that, you, that the Lordship of Jesus would be seen over their thoughts, their emotions, and that they would be used by the Lord to display compassion, to be able to bring people into health, into deliverance, that no trick of the enemy, no tactic of the enemy would work from this point on, but instead they'd be freed to excel in compassion and to bring deliverance and healing to people. We declare that liberty over your life. We declare you were born for this freedom. You were born for this liberty. It is God's design for you. And from this point on, you'll be aware of the trick of the enemy. So you'll be able to expose his his tactics and instead moving compassion towards these people you would have withdrawn from. We declare that the heart of the Lord and the gift that God has given you. We declare it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. All right, beautiful. You did good. All right, open your Bibles, if you would please, to Luke chapter 16. And I've got two verses to read before we actually get into Luke 16. I'm I'm talking to you, I'm taking three weeks to talk to you about the kingdom of abundance. And um, for several years now, I've had such an increasing burning desire, not just desire, a burden, um, an awareness of the heart of God regarding something that I think for the most part the church has missed. For 
various reasons. The subject of money, when it's talked about in the church, receives all kinds of different reactions, oftentimes because of past abuses, abuses of people who have, maybe on one hand, they have taught that, uh, you know, God wants everybody to be rich and your spirituality is measured by your income or by how many possessions you have. I don't know anything that could be further from the truth than that, except the opposite, which is also taught by much of the church, that lack and poverty is actually a sign of spirituality. Neither are true. I'd like for us to find the heart of the Lord. He tells us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is not a place of lack. Heaven is not a place of worry, wringing our hands to figure out what, where, where the next meal is going to come from. It's just simply not the Lord. The Father, if, if my children uh, are poorly clothed, my wife is poorly clothed, they haven't eaten in a long time, and I'm feasting and I'm nicely dressed, then you have reason to question what kind of husband I am or what kind of a father. And oftentimes, we actually represent the Lord through our lack thinking that that's God's will, when in fact his desire is for us to abound. And so that's what I'm doing this series for. We did last week. I'm gonna to talk to you about another aspect of that uh, this morning. But I wanna read the theme verse for this, uh, this series. And it's out of 2 Corinthians 9, verse eight. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I love that verse so much. I love the thought of having an abundance for every good work. Many of you were able to respond last week to uh, the need of our missionaries from our own house sent to a very dangerous place in the world, not able to mention their location, but their vehicle was blown up and uh, everybody's safe, we're thankful for that, but you responded with radical generosity. They're able to buy a much, much better vehicle than they ever thought were po was possible. And it's because of the abounding unto every good work. And I, I personally, I love the stories of, you know, the missionary family or the young couple that prays over a meal when they have no food in the house. And they ask the Lord to provide and, and they sit at the table with the plates in front of them. And uh, soon there's a knock on the door and there's somebody at the door that's brought groceries because they've been led by the Lord to supply them with food. And I love that story and I've been on the receiving end of that kind of story. But I'm tired of being on the receiving end. I wanna be the guy knocking on the door. I wanna be abounding into all good works. That's where we thrive. We, were, we have been assigned and designed to thrive in the abundance of God's good work to touch and impact people's lives. So here it is again. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Verse 10 says this, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. One more thing that we'll probably deal with next week is the concept of bread and seed. The Lord provides bread to be consumed. He provides seed to be sown or to be planted. And the church typically has done well, I have typically done well in both modeling and teaching on generosity, but not always teaching what it looks like to be a good steward of bread. If you plant bread, it doesn't grow. It's foolish to plant your bread, it's equally foolish to eat your seed. 
discerning when the Lord has given you something that is going to increase your future harvest, that is seed. But bread is for personal consumption to the glory of God. If I buy a gift for my wife, I buy her a nice, beautiful purse, and she takes it as we go out to dinner, I'm, I'm gratified that she would want to carry that purse that I spent our money on to honor her with, that she thinks it's beautiful. And that's what I do. I look for beautiful things for her. If I give a special gift to my children, I'm always honored and gratified when they use, when they recognize that's bread, not seed. And I'm encouraged when they use something that I sacrifice for that they could enjoy. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. He delights in abundance for you. He delights in abundance. And He provides bread for consumption. It is not selfish to consume what God has given you. It's selfish to eat your seed. And it's also pretty dumb. So we'll deal with that probably a bit more next week. But one more verse that I want to read to you uh, today is I'm just going to read to you out of Matthew chapter 22. If you're writing references down, some uh, Pharisees came to Jesus and they, it's, it's kind of funny. They came to him with all these words of praise, but they were setting him up. They were setting him up with a tricky question. And they were trying to deceive him. So they, they came to him and they said, teacher, we know that you are true. You teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the peer, person of men. In other words, you're not manipulated by the fear of man, which was absolutely true. Tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They thought this would be a hard question for Jesus. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? I love how tender Jesus is in these moments. In your face, says it like he thinks. Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said, render, the word there is actually pay. Pay, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Pay to Caesar what's his. Pay to God what belongs to him. This, first of all, legitimizes the concept of tax and paying taxes. You should be thankful when you have to pay more taxes because it means you, meant you made more money. You can look at either reality. And if you don't like the way the money is spent, and believe me, I get that. It's not always spent well. It's not always spent wisely. Go to a third world country and it'll help to heal that part of your heart. Just go somewhere where it's a mess and you'll come back rejoicing at how together uh, this one is. Honestly, taxes are something we should give thanks we have, have the privilege to pay. If you complain, it's because you have a poverty spirit. You have a self-absorbed, see, poverty spirit is, self, is self-absorbed. It only measures what I pay, it doesn't measure what I make. I, I, what I want is I want the abundance for every good work. But the abundance for every good work is released to a people that knows how to steward, 
Promotion, favor, resource. Knows when it's bread and knows when it's seed. And is willing to do both for the glory of God. The issue at hand when we talk about dollars and cents is the lordship of Jesus. That is the issue. So Jesus here says, What's, who's on the coin? They said, Caesar. He says, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to him. And then he said, but give to God what belongs to him. The word is actually pay. Pay God what belongs to him. In the culture Jesus is ministering in, it's the Jewish culture. There's only one part of their income that is not theirs, and it's called the tithe. The paying of the tithe. Everything else belonged to them. Now, I know you could say, well, everything we own belongs to God. That's true. But in this illustration, that would have made it possible to not give Caesar what belongs to him because it belongs to God. In this case, the Lord is trying to teach the difference between bread and seed. And he specifically says, pay to God what belongs to God. The misconception that has really cycled through the church in the last 20 years especially is the thought that the tithe is from the law, and it actually isn't. The tithe isn't from the law. And you hear people say, well, we're free from the law. That's true, you're free from the law. The Mosaic law of sacrifices, uh, rituals of cleansing, those kinds of practices that made you righteous before the Lord, Jesus fulfilled the demand of all of those. But that is not the law we are talking about. How many of you know the law of sowing and reaping is still in effect in the grace of God? If you show mercy, what do you receive? You receive mercy. Jesus is actually teaching his disciples that much of what they want from the Father, they have to initiate through radical obedience. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who gave it first? In that illustration, a person gave it. I realize we are alive because of the mercy of God. But the illustration Jesus is giving is a person extended mercy. Because of that, they will receive it. And much of our life is actually linked to this concept of sowing and reaping. So in this passage, he says, pay to God what belongs to God. In the Jewish culture, in their thinking, that was the 10% of their income. My grandfather was... My, my mom's dad was fun to eat with. If we ever went to a restaurant, he liked salt. I do too. I like coffee. I like salt. Chris and I have to sit next to each other in any restaurant because we both use it. So my grandfather, he would get the salt shaker in the restaurant. He'd pour it over, put it, pour it. <laughs> he would shake it over. His, he would pour it. He would shake it over his food. And if it I remember sitting there one day, he shook and he shook and he shook and he says, ah, it's a tither. And he put it down. And I didn't, I didn't know what he, what he meant. I said, what do you mean, Grandpa, tither? He says, ah, it only gives what it has to. We were raised in an atmosphere where 10% of my income is not giving. It's a payment. Dick Joyce would, taught us years ago. He said, your tithe is your rent payment for living on his planet, breathing his air, and you don't want to be evicted. Right? I'm trying to keep this humorous, not legalistic, but listen carefully. Stewarding this part of our life is huge because it has everything in the world to do with the lordship of Jesus. It is giving to him what actually belongs to him. And that hasn't even started generosity yet. It's just called returning what belongs to him. Generosity starts after that point. 
Luke chapter 16. Are you there? Good. Me too. Luke 16. I want you to go right down to verse 10. Jesus has already been dealing with the subject of money, mammon. In verse 10, he says, He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, stop right there for a moment. Mammon is a Syrian term for the God of riches. So when he's talking about mammon or the spirit of mammon, he's talking about a spiritual entity that influences the economies of the world. He's dealing with it as a personality, not just the dollars in your pocket. I mean, you understand there's no, it's neither evil or righteous, the dollars you have in your pocket. What I do with it determines whether or not, I mean, whether I give it to a missionary or I buy lunch for my wife, it's righteously used. Unrighteous mammon, who will entrust uh, true riches? Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, we're gonna read one more verse, but let me stop on this one. If I'm not faithful with what is another man's, what is that in my, in my world? It's the tithe. I've been given something, it's in my stewardship. Now I have the privilege to demonstrate who my Lord is. And in lordship, I return to him what belongs to him. Why does he want that to happen? Because he wants me to have my own. He's actually interested in increasing what? The abundance unto every good work in my life. He's He's desiring to increase my capacity to make a difference with resources. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. The word loyal actually means to hold to. So let me illustrate this. Now don't... Don't get weird on me here, but this is going to represent mammon, all right? And this is going to represent God. <laughs> it's not God, it's just an Apple product, but it's the closest I could get. All right. That's so pitiful, isn't it? But anyway, here we go. What does he say? He says, either you will love the one, love the one, and hate the other, or you hold to the one and despise whenever money is talked about in the church. See, once the issue is settled, every conversation about finances and resource is an invitation for breakthrough and increase. But until the issue is settled, it's a point of aggravation, it's a point of a frustration, it's a point of, I wish I wasn't here today kind of thing. And what the Lord does in these moments is he reveals to us, all right, 
you, you're, serving, you're serving mammon. You didn't even know it. How can we tell? Because of what you're holding on to. The way serving mammon is evidenced is in holding on to and despising. What about serving God instead of mammon? It's illustrated by our love for God, and listen to this, and our hatred for that which would defile my complete, absolute devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hatred, sometimes our love for God is measured by what we hate. It's now people. Don't get weird on me here. But it's measured by hating what he hates. He hates that demonic spirit that entangles. Scripture teaches us that those with anxiety and the shifting in values over spiritual uh, resources and blessing to natural resources to where they become greedy, and they actually kill the seed of the Lord that is planted in their heart to bring an eternal harvest. The whole story of the seed in the sower, part of what brought great damage to the heart of the believer was the fact that there, were, there was so much shifting in their focus about material wealth and possessions. I, you know, I want everybody in this church to own their own home. I want you to have a dream car to drive. I mean, I, I really do. My greatest ambition is for the breakthrough in the miraculous, the breakthrough in the, in the harvest of souls. But when it can be displayed by bounty in your business and bounty in your home, man, I'm all over it. I want everyone to have their own home paid for, not just making payments every, every month. I hunger that. I, I desire for that. Why? Because it frees us up to have an abundance for every good work. So here he says, if you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will in, uh, commit to your trust true riches? I remember as a, as a younger pastor, I always thought, I don't know why, but I always thought if I handle unrighteous mammon well, he'll entrust to me true riches. For some reason, I thought it was just more unrighteous mammon. It's not. True riches is, is why we're here. It's why we're family. We, it's, it's why we do what we do. We are looking for the greater breakthroughs, the greater demonstrations of the love of God, the power of God, the deliverance, the healing, the salvation, all the stuff that we, have, that we ache, ache for in our hearts. That's the true riches. It would be foolish to think that I can buy those things with generosity. It's also foolish to think I can explore all the realms of true riches without faithfulness here. Jesus himself links the breakthrough. I think I gave you the illustration last week. Natural riches, I can buy you all a steak dinner. With true riches, we can just buy one and multiply it. All right, this is not mammon any longer. This is now my water. The thought that the tithe comes from the law is, is a deep misunderstanding because its roots are in the Old Testament. But the one who actually established the concept of the tithe was Abraham. Abraham is very significant for us because he is called the father of faith, the father of our faith. 
He is the one that God gave a promise to, and it says, and he believed God, and God considered him righteous because of that belief. A number of years ago, John Paul Jackson came to uh, speak here. He's at home with the Lord now, but uh, when he came, he, he, he brought such great, he always brought a great word to us. And he helped me personally with a dream that I had had that really troubled me. And he really, I feel like I owe him a million bucks because of the interpretation he gave me and, and finally realized that's, a, you know, it was a mysterious dream. And he just settled, brought a lot of peace and focus in my heart because of that interpretation. One of the things that John Paul said when he was here is he said, Romans chapter four is going to be key for this next outpouring of the spirit, for this next wave of revival. And so I committed myself to reading Romans 4 every day. And I read it every day uh, for three years, except for five days because of international flights. I would read it day after day and, and becoming increasingly impacted by this man, Abraham, and his courageous faith, his bold faith. And one of the things that I noticed in Scripture is the Bible tells us to study, to learn, and to follow, to embrace the ways of Abraham. Abraham is called the father of faith. We are alive because of faith. We have been born again because of the gift of faith that God gave to us. Where did that come from? Well, in testimony, it came from Abraham. And it was Abraham who, after um, a particular incident, has great resources, and he took a tenth of it and gave it as a tithe to bring honor to, to, uh, to the man of God. The point that I'm trying to make is the whole idea of the tithe actually started with Abraham, did not start with Moses and the law, which I think was like 400 years later. So here you have Abraham doing something before the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was not the, the uh, seedbed, if you will, of the concept of the tithe. The Mosaic law had all kinds of rituals and cleansing and washings and animal sacrifices and all these things that were to be done to somehow obtain righteousness before God, and nobody could ever do it. Jesus came and fulfilled that demand. But how many understand when the Bible says, do not murder, you still don't murder now that you're under grace? Now, maybe I should repeat this just in case some of you are struggling with that command. Being freed from the law doesn't mean you can now murder. Yeah. Being freed from the law doesn't mean now adultery is okay. It says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything about you is to love God. To love your neighbors, yourself, Jesus says. But he goes on and he says, you've been told that you're to not commit murder. But I say to you, if you call your, a person a name, you're guilty. And so I, I realized reading that, you know, I've, I've been able to go my entire life without killing anyone. And it's not even been tempting, except a few times on the highway. <laughs> That's a joke. Don't, don't quote me. I've, I've been able to go my entire life without killing anyone. I've done quite well at it. I've not even aimed at anyone, a gun or anything. I, 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 I got that part down. Don't kill. But I have called a few people names. Idiot is the name that comes to mind the soonest. No one in here, you're all safe. It was, it was the guy in the car, but I will just leave that, leave that alone. So Jesus says, you, you heard, you can't commit murder. I'm saying you can't call people names. If you do, you're guilty. So which, which is easier to do, the law or grace? 
<laughs> it's a trick question. What's the difference between law and grace? Law requires, grace enables. When, when Jesus says you shall not commit murder, you are required. When the law says you're to live this way, you're to do such and such, there's a requirement put upon humanity. But when Jesus in grace says, you're not even to call someone a name. You're not even to look on a woman to lust after her. When he ups the ante, when he increases the requirement far past the, the commands of the law, he's doing so because the Holy Spirit is given to you, enabling you to do exactly what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. Law requires, grace enables. The whole concept of grace, responding to the directive of the Lord, is the fact that the Holy Spirit enables us to do what only Jesus can do. Back to the subject of money. The concept of the tithe was born in the heart of Abraham, our father of faith, was ratified by the law. Jesus comes along, and in Matthew 23, verse 23, we find Jesus correcting the Pharisees again, which he seemed to have a full-time job doing just that. And what they were doing is they were growing herbs, and they would have dill and come in these various things, and they would chop up their herbs, you know, like into 10 pieces, and they would take one-tenth, and they would give that herb as their tithe. And Jesus points to what they're doing. He says, this you should have done. In other words, the tithe is right, but you've done so at the expense of the weightier provisions of the law. What is he saying? He's saying, obeying here doesn't excuse all the wrong stuff you're doing. In other words, just because, just because you did this right, you tithe on your dill, <laughs> you don't get a pass on your judgment that you've made towards other people. You don't get a pass there. The weightier provisions of the law are relational in nature. It's the way we treat this, the way we give honors, the way we value and respect people. Jesus went on and brought correction to them about uh, their, their unwillingness to even care for, take care of their own parents because they had dedicated their resources to God under the guise of dedication to God, and they wouldn't even move with compassion to take care of their own family members. So he's rebuking them for neglecting the weightier provisions that God had required of the life, but instead they were giving a tenth of their dill. What did Jesus do? He said, this you should have done. So we've got Abraham, we've got the law, we've got Jesus, we have the early church fathers. The early church fathers, those who were alive during Jesus' time and those who followed in the first 100, 150 years, they were strong proponents of the concept of the tithe and moving beyond that into offerings. I remember Judson Cornwall, who was a great inspiration to me. He would, he would uh, have meetings with his, uh, the business people in his church, and it was just kind of a, it was a common, uh, uh, it wasn't a requirement, but there was just this, there was this understanding with these, this group of business people that they, they started as a minimum 20% of their income that they would give to the Lord. Now, I never say anything of this nature to imprison anyone. All I want to do is say, number one, give him what belongs to him, period, for your sake. If you don't belong to this church, wherever church you belong to, if you, uh, you know, it, you don't, it, it goes into the storehouse. Um, Malachi 3 says, Test me in this. 
and see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven. How many of you have been praying for open heavens? Sometimes money opens the window. Wow! It's what he said. It's actually what he said. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, he says. You are cursed with a curse. You've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. What is that food? Is it in the pantry or is it the spirit of revelation that rests upon the church? I don't know of any church in the country where there's a continuous flow of the spirit of revelation where there's increased understanding that is not generous financially. Generosity in the natural releases a spiritual blessing that is just un unparalleled. Okay, just smile now and then. It'll encourage me. That there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Pour out a blessing till there's no more need. There's this interesting thing that took place in Israel's history. Israel was required of the Lord to rest the land every seven years. So they'd grow crops for six years. They wouldn't plant any the seventh year. They would just glean off of what grew naturally out of that seventh year. Israel didn't do it for 490 years. That's just somewhat of a delayed obedience there to put off the yes to God for 490 years. What is one seventh of 490? 70. How long was Israel in exile? 70 years. You never keep what you withhold. We never keep it. You know, you can fight for it, you can grasp for it, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to control this, I'm going to discipline that. We never keep what we withhold. So Israel ends up with 70 years in exile. I don't believe it's the punishment of the Lord. I just think there's this, this thing that we don't always get, that when we, when we obey the laws of the kingdom, there's this thing that just works for us that doesn't work otherwise. And when we violate the laws of that kingdom, you can't get the blessing of one government by obeying the laws of another. We all love the idea of the promised land. We love the idea of the promises of God coming to fruition in our life. We love the ideas of, of living with more than enough so that we can abound into every good work. But those realities are never tapped into by following the laws or the principles of an inferior kingdom. And so the Lord is actually inviting us into a journey with him. The journey is demonstrate lordship by returning what belongs to him. And, you know, I, 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 I say this not in, in harshness or rudeness. It's just, you know, if you don't trust the house you're in to do that, then find a place where you trust because you need to be able to put that into the storehouse so that there'll be food, so that you, your family, your descendants will be powerfully fed of the Lord in, in, uh, in what's happening in that local church. But the tithe is something that belongs to God. I've encouraged people, I've challenged people for years. I've watched as people, brand new believers, will just take that huge, huge step of faith and take that part of their income. And the Lord will, time after time after time, bring great return and great blessing. What I've noticed is that the older saint that does it, they don't always get as quick a breakthrough. 
what I've noticed is the older saint that's been doing it for a long time doesn't always get the, the quickest breakthrough. Why? Because we are required to live off of the testimonies of the early days to keep ourselves encouraged that he has not changed. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Anytime you have an, a delayed answer, it's never punishment. It's always because he's building something in you that will pay off later. Delayed answers. Faith brings answers. Delayed answers bring answers with endurance. Character is formed in the delay. And the Lord is building in us the capacity for the long haul. He's actually raising up world changes, people who know how to affect the course of history with their lifestyle. Most believers that I know are praying for just that daily provision so that we can help to meet, pay the electric bill, pay the car payment, do this and that. And those things are fine. I never fault anyone for that kind of approach, but I feel like, I feel like we're supposed to actually see what the Lord would be willing to do in our lifetime. And here's, I, I don't know if this one makes sense. I tried it last service, didn't go over very well, so I'm gonna try it again. <clears throat> one of the things that has been a very strong lesson for me personally has been the realization that all of us have a limited number of days. Would you agree with that? The, the Bible, in fact, the Bible says, display your heart of wisdom by numbering your days. Demonstrate that you have wisdom by realizing you're not on this planet forever. So live with that kind of a wisdom, your limited number of days, number one. Number two, we all have a limited amount of strength. If, if you don't believe that, just try to stay up for seven nights in a row and see how good your work, the quality of your work is in seven days. I mean, we just can't do it. We can't pull it off. And yet ministry after ministry experiences ex crazy burnout because of the unwillingness to take time off because it will cost too much. If I take time off, it'll cost the ministry too much. And so there's person after person that experiences burnout. The church celebrates the pastor who works seven days a week, never takes a vacation because he loves us so much. Yeah, you've just lit his fuse. He's offering to the Lord a blood sacrifice that is unacceptable. It's an unacceptable sacrifice. God himself rested the seventh day. God himself. And to violate that, I don't care how sincere you are, you drink poison, you die, even if you're sincere. You can't violate the design of the Lord. And the Lord designed us for rest and for work. We were designed that way. So here's this concept, limited number of days, limited strength, but we have access to unlimited resources. Would you agree? It wasn't an, as much as I was hoping for, but I'll work with it, it's all right. Limited amount of days, yes? This is not, I don't have a trick question for you. I know that you don't trust me right now. <laughs> limited amount of days, yes? Limited amount of strength, yes. yes. Access to unlimited resources, yes. yes. Every ministry I know of spends what's limited to save what's unlimited. Pushing the edge of burnout, exhaustion, because we gotta save the dollars. I believe in wisdom and saving. I'm just saying heaven looks at it differently. The world around you will applaud the person who burns out, you know, dies at 35 because they just, they burned up with exhaustion because of their love for the harvest. Well, that's awesome, but think of how many more he could have won if he would have just taken a day off. 
lasted another 35 years. I don't say that in any way to point fingers or to bring condemnation. I'm just saying heaven has a different perspective. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we are not praying for an environment of survival. We are not praying for an environment of survival. We are saying, God, change the way I think, the way I do life, so where you could trust me with an abundance for every good work. I want to shape the course of history. I want to see specific, I want to see people in this house, in this family, own a house outright. That's what I want to see. I want to see every person a part of the house. It's a personal cry of mine, to see every person not only own a home, but own it outright. Not as giving permission to live uh, you know, in a, in a self-centered way. But I just mean, what could happen if just the money that is spent on interest every year, just interest money put back into the kingdom, what, what happened? Just the interest, let alone the, the rest. We have the capacity to shape the course of history through radical generosity, through radical lifestyle of sacrifice, of learning how to delight in the provision of the Lord without having to apologize. Yes, I, that is a nice house. You know, I know I don't deserve it, but it's just the grace of God. Without having to jump through those hoops, apologizing for blessing, being able to use what he has blessed you with as a testimony of what kind of father he is. Why? Because it's, it's the nature of our God as Father that is in Psalm 67 is actually to woo the nations to himself. It's his demonstration as a Father displaying his kindness, his privilege on your life, on my life, that is to woo literally the nations of the world to him. It's tough to see that wooing if we don't pay our bills. It's tough to see that wooing if we live just in mere survival. And it doesn't matter to me what your assignment is in life. Whatever, you know, I, I mentioned it again last week. What does blessing and abundance look like for Joseph in prison? He just becomes in charge of the other prisoners. It's not the mansion on the hill. It's the place of favor for being in his lane to have righteous influence on those under his charge. It's realizing the role that we have in life. And it may change in a year, it may change in 10 years, but where are we now? Well, I'm in this neighborhood I don't like to be in. Well, guess what? You get to bring righteous influence into that neighborhood because that's the lane you're in right now. What does bounty, what does abundance look like? It means that you get a breakthrough and you start sharing with your neighbor. You're able to pray with them for their own personal breakthrough, that your own family is healthy and, and theirs isn't. And you give the chance to serve and to love on them and to get an, give an impartation of what family life, healthy relationship looks like. This is the privilege of the abundant lifestyle. See, the, the poverty mind is, is self-absorbed. And it is witnessed when we come together, give me a little grace here, is witnessed by the fact that when we come together, oftentimes, most people come in for what they can get and haven't yet ministered to one person while coming. And yet the scripture says, when you come together, let each one have a song, let each one have a hymn, let each one have something to deposit in another person's life. The whole issue of, po of poverty is not dollars. One, one final comment here. In the Old Testament, 
the blessing of God was seen almost entirely in material wealth and blessing. Just go in your concordance or your, if you have an iPad or computer program, with, just put in the word riches. Just put in the word uh, wealth or any of these kinds of terms. And look, it's Abraham. It's David. It's Solomon. Hezekiah, just looking at a verse this morning, Hezekiah, abounded in extreme wealth. What's the point? In the Old Testament, it was external blessing that God gave to change their heart. It was external to change this. In the New Testament, it is internal prosperity that's to change the external. The kingdom is within you. Above all else, 3 John 2, let, let your health, let you prosper in all things and be in good health even as your soul prospers. This is what tastes the bounty of the Lord. I've been forgiven. I have been set free. I am free to be a servant. I have resources that are unlimited. I can serve and love everybody around me. Something's happening in here where I realize that God has given me extreme abundance. And what happens? That begins to shape health. That begins to shape my finances. That begins to shape everything around me. Old Testament, outside, in. New Testament, inside out. I have to have it here. That means, that means that, that, it just means that we talk differently to the neighbor. It means that as we get help at the store and they tell us where in the store to find the product that we need, the way we treat that person, it's the, it's the cashier, it's the waitress at the restaurant, it's all these things, it's just our interactions with people. I can tell those who have poverty of soul because everything is aimed towards them. But when you experience the blessing of Holy Spirit-inspired royalty, then you know you have limited time Unlimited strength, unlimited resources. I'm going to use my access to the unlimited, whether it's dollars or kind words, to make somebody else's life better. Go ahead and let's stand. <clears throat> I felt earlier this morning in uh, just looking forward to today that I was to pray something of you. I don't remember ever praying before in my life. Um, I don't like talking about my personal finances or giving that sort of thing. I, I stay away from it. I did it one time, only, uh, only after kind of a weird week. Newspaper article. So I, I, I said, well, let me, just, just in case there's young believers here that could be affected wrongly. And I, I, I went into specifics, but I never let... Bethel Media to reproduce it. I just did it in-house. I love the thought of giving. I love the lifestyle of giving. Benny and I have never given as low as 20% of our income. We, we learned early on, and we love to push the boundaries. We love to see what God will do. If I can just wreck I've planted, I've planted bread before, and it was depressing because it just didn't grow a thing. <laughs> just, just got old and moldy. Oldy moldy. <laughs> But I also know what it is to hold on to things loosely. And there's a grace on my life for, for, for generosity. There is. I, I know it's true. I know it's, 
I know it's true. I just I hold on to things loosely. I mean, I want to be responsible, but I, you know, I, I, I just, I'll, I can give anything. And I feel like there's a gift of generosity that the Lord would give. And I don't know if you want it, but you're going to get it. So I'm not going to have you raise your hands because some of you would raise just because your neighbor did. And the Lord knows better. So I'm, I'm toying with you now. I want to just pray for you. And I feel like there's this gift, this grace for generosity that the Lord would release. Father, first we recognize you're the extreme one. You're the generous one. Jesus, you gave all. You withheld nothing. And so we acknowledge that and we give honor to you and praise to you. And I ask right now that you would impart a grace, a gift, to as many who are even slight, slightly open. Release a gift of generosity. And help us to break into something for this city that would cause this city to rise to its Geneva status of excellence, of increase, of bounty, to be a blessing to the state of California, to this nation. I pray this in honor of the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast is now being translated in several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.